And he's here. He is here. Cristiano has entered the building. Welcome, wherever you are, to the Old Trafford Theatre. Yes, guys, welcome back to this episode of Sculptor Podcast. Today, which is also the day of most of my recordings, we're going through Start With Why. And as if you've been listening to the previous episodes, you'd know I am back. Well, by the time you listen to this, I'm probably back in Australia or in the middle of the ocean on an aeroplane on my way back. Um, But yeah, basically going through start with why Um, so where do you start when you have a program that's about integrating life's passions well you start with why why and that kicks us off for the first speaker tonight simon sinek and his talk start with why we assume even we know why we do what we do but then how do you explain when things don't go as we assume? Or better, how do you explain when others are able to achieve things that seem to defy all of the assumptions? For example, why is Apple so innovative? Year after year after year after year, they're more innovative than all their competition. And yet, they're just a computer company. They're just like everyone else. They have the same access to the same talent, the same agencies, the same consultants, the same media then why is it that they seem to have something different? Why is it that Martin Luther King led the civil rights movement? He wasn't the only man who suffered in a pre-civil rights America, and he certainly wasn't the only great orator of the day. Why him? And why is it that the Wright brothers were able to figure out controlled, powered man flight when there were certainly other teams who were better qualified, better funded, and they didn't achieve powered man flight, and the Wright brothers beat them to it. There's something else at play here. About three and a half years ago, I made a discovery, and this discovery profoundly changed my view on how I thought the world worked, and it even profoundly changed the way in which I operate in it. As it turns out, there's a pattern. As it turns out, all the great and inspiring leaders and organizations in the world, whether it's Apple or Martin Luther King or the Wright brothers, they all think, act, and communicate the exact same way, and it's the complete opposite to everyone else. All I did was codify it, and it's probably the world's simplest idea. I call it the golden circle. Why, how, what? This little idea explains why some organizations and some leaders are able to inspire where others aren't. Let me define the terms really quickly. Every single person, every single organization on the planet knows what they do, 100%. Some know how they do it, whether you call it your differentiating value proposition or your proprietary process or your USP. But very, very few people or organizations know why they do what they do. And by why, I don't mean to make a profit. That's a result. It's always a result. By why, I mean what's your purpose? What's your cause? What's your belief? Why does your organization exist? Well, as a result, the way we think, the way we act, the way we communicate is from the outside in. It's obvious. We go from the clearest thing to the fuzziest thing. 
But the inspired leaders and the inspire or inspired organizations, regardless of their size, regardless of their industry, all think, act, and communicate from the inside out. Let me give you an example. I use Apple because they're easy to understand and everybody gets it. If Apple were like everyone else, a marketing message from them might sound like this. We make great computers. They're beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Want to buy one? Meh. And that's how most of us communicate. That's how most marketing is done, that's how most sales is done, and that's how most of us communicate interpersonally. We say what we do, we say how we're different or how we're better, and we expect some sort of behavior, a purchase, a vote, something like that. Here's our new law firm. Uh, we have the best lawyers with the biggest clients. We, have, you know, we always perform for our clients, do business with us. Here's our new car. It gets great gas mileage. It has you know, leather seats. Buy our car. But it's uninspiring. Here's how Apple actually communicates. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. The way we challenge the status quo is by making our products beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. We just happen to make great computers. Want to buy one? Totally different, right? You're ready to buy a computer from me. All I did was reverse the order of the information. People don't buy what you do, people buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. This explains why every single person in this room is perfectly comfortable buying a computer from Apple. But we're also perfectly comfortable buying an MP3 player from Apple, or a phone from Apple, or a DVR from Apple. But as I said before, Apple's just a computer company. There's nothing that distinguishes them structurally from any of their competitors. Their competitors are all equally qualified to make all of these products. In fact, they tried. A few years ago, Gateway came out with flat screen TVs. They're eminently qualified to make flat screen TVs. They've been making flat screen monitors for years. Nobody bought one. Dell came out with MP3 players and PDAs. And they make great quality products, and they can make perfectly well-designed products, and nobody bought one. In fact, talking about it now, we can't even imagine buying an MP3 player from Dell. Why would you buy an MP3 player from a computer company? But we do it every day. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. The goal is not to do business with, anybody, with everybody who needs what you have. The goal is to do business with people who believe what you believe. Here's the best part. None of what I'm telling you is my opinion. It's all grounded in the tenets of biology, not psychology, biology. If you look at a cross-section of the human brain looking from the top down, what you see is the human brain is actually broken into three major components that correlate perfectly with the golden circle. Our newest brain, our homo sapien brain, our neocortex, corresponds with the what level. The neocortex is responsible for all of our rational and analytical thought and language. The middle two sections make up our limbic brains, and our limbic brains are responsible for all of our feelings, like trust and loyalty. It's also responsible for all human behavior, all decision-making, and it has no capacity for language. In other words, when we communicate from the outside in, yes, people can understand vast amounts of complicated information like features and benefits and facts and figures. It just doesn't drive behavior. When we communicate from the inside out, we're talking directly to the part of the brain that controls behavior, and then we allow people to rationalize it with the tangible things we say and do. This is where gut decisions come from. You know, sometimes you can give somebody all the facts and your figures, and they say, I know what all the facts and details say, but it just doesn't feel right. 
Why would we use that verb? It doesn't feel right, because the part of the brain that controls decision-making doesn't control language. And the best we can muster up is, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. Or sometimes you say you're leading with your heart or you're leading with your soul. Well, I hate to break it to you, those aren't other body parts controlling your behavior. It's all happening here in your limbic brain, the part of the brain that controls decision-making and not language. But if you don't know why you do what you do, and people respond to why you do what you do, then how will anybody, how will you ever get people to, 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 to vote for you or buy something from you, or more importantly, be loyal and want to be a part of what it is what, that you do? Again, the goal is not just to sell people who need what you have. The goal is to sell to people who believe what you believe. The goal is not just to hire people who need a job. It's to hire people who believe what you believe. I always say that, you know, there's, uh, if you, if you, if you um, hire people just because they can do a job, they'll work for your money. But if you hire people who believe what you believe, they work for you with blood and sweat and tears. And nowhere, nowhere else is there a better example of this than with the Wright brothers. Most people don't know about Samuel Pierpont Langley. And back in the early 20th century, the pursuit of powered man flight was like the dot-com of the day. Everybody was trying it. And Samuel Pierpont Langley had what we assume to be the recipe for success. I mean, even now, you ask people, why did your product or why did your company fail? And people always give you the same permutation of the same three things. Undercapitalized, the wrong people, bad market conditions. It's always the same three things. So let's explore that. Samuel Pierpont Langley was given $50,000 by the War Department to figure out this flying machine. Money was no problem. He held a seat at Harvard and worked at the Smithsonian and was extremely well-connected. He knew all the big minds of the day. He hired the best minds money could find, and the market conditions were fantastic. The New York Times followed him around everywhere, and everyone was rooting for Langley. And how come we've never heard of Samuel Pierpont Langley. A few hundred miles away in Dayton, Ohio, Orville and Wilbur Wright. They had none of what we consider to be the recipe for success. They had no money. They paid for their dream with the proceeds from their bicycle shop. Not a single person on the Wright brothers' team had a college education, not even Orville or Wilbur. And the New York Times followed them around nowhere. The difference was Orville and Wilbur were driven by a cause, by a purpose, by a belief. They believed that if they could figure out this flying machine, it'll change the course of the world. Samuel Pierpont Langley was different. He wanted to be rich, and he wanted to be famous. He was in pursuit of the result. He was in pursuit of the riches. And lo and behold, look what happened. The people who believed in the Wright brothers' dream worked with them with, for, with blood and sweat and tears. The others just worked for the paycheck. And they tell stories of how every time the Wright brothers went out, they would have to take five sets of parts because that's how many times they would crash before they came in for supper. And eventually, on December 17th, 1903, the Wright brothers took flight. And no one was there to even experience it. We found out about it a few days later. And further proof that Langley was motivated by the wrong thing, the day the Wright brothers took flight, he quit. He could have said, that's an amazing discovery, guys, and I will improve upon your technology. But he didn't. He wasn't first. He didn't get rich. He didn't get famous. So he quit. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And if you talk about what you believe, you will attract those who believe what you believe. Well, why is it important to attract those who believe what you believe? Something called the law of diffusion of innovation. 
And if you don't know the law, you definitely know the terminology. The first 2.5% of our population are our innovators. The next 13.5%. That was an interesting one. Uh, when I think about sculpted, why do I believe that becoming the best version of yourself is so important? Well, for me, it's not financial. Okay? I think that having something where I can look back at my life and think, yeah, okay, I really did something there. I, I'm not too big on legacy or anything like that, making a name for myself or being the most famous. I've spoken previously how I think it's, um, uh, it has it has to do with religion as well for myself. I do believe that, you know, I'm not just meant to be here for a good time. I feel like I have a purpose in what I do. And I, I do think that sculpted is something that it's more of a message. It's more of a, a movement rather than just, you know, a computer like Apple. But Apple's not just a computer. It's everything that Simon said it was. They just happened to make good computers. I feel like that's exactly what I'm trying to do with Sculpted. Now, I have seen, I have listened to this before with Simon, but I already had the vision for Sculpted even before this. And... It's, it's a unique one because sculpted isn't anything but a message. We just happen to do X, Y, and Z as well. Which is interesting because Apple were just computers and then they happen to do X, Y, and Z as well. And it'll be interesting to see where sculpted goes, obviously. You know, we might be listening back to this in 20 years' time and thinking, wow, Vic was on it from day one. Or we might be looking back at it in 20 years' time and thinking, wow, Nick was delusional. He was never going to get there. And to both of those, I would say, yes, I'm delusional. But whatever happens is largely in my control. But we'll continue. Oh, it's raining now. Thanks. Percent of our population are our early adopters. The next 34% are your early majority, your late majority, and your laggards. The only reason these people buy touchtone phones is because you can't buy rotary phones anymore. <laughs> we all sit at various places at various times on the scale, but what the law of diffusion of innovation tells us is that if you want mass market success or mass market acceptance of an idea, you cannot have it until you achieve this tipping point between 15 and 18% market penetration, and then the system tips. And I love asking businesses, what's your conversion on new business? And they love to tell you, oh, it's about 10%, proudly. Well, you can trip over 10% of the customers. We all have about 10% who just get it. That's how we describe them, right? That's like that gut feeling, oh, they just get it. The problem is how do you find the ones that just get it before you're doing business with them versus the ones who don't get it? So it's this here, this little gap that you have to close, as Jeffrey Moore calls it, crossing the chasm. Because you see, the early majority will not try something until someone else has tried it first. And these guys, the innovators and the early adopters, they're comfortable making those gut decisions. They're more comfortable making those intuitive decisions that are driven by what they believe about the world and not just what product is available. These are the people who stood online for six hours to buy an iPhone when they first came out, when you could have just walked into the store the next week and bought one off the shelf. These are the people who spent $40,000 on flat screen TVs when they first came out, even though the technology was substandard. 
And by the way, they didn't do it because the technology was so great. They did it for themselves. It's because they wanted to be first. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. In fact, people will do the things that prove what they believe. The reason that person bought the iPhone on the first, in the first six hours, or stood in, six, in line for six hours, was because of what they believed about the world and how they wanted everybody to see them. They were first. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So let me give you a famous example, a famous failure and a famous success of the law of diffusion of innovation. First, the famous failure. It's a commercial example. As we said before a second ago, the recipe for success is money and the right people and the right marketing conditions, right? You should have success then. Look at TiVo. From the time TiVo came out about eight or nine years ago to this current day, they are the single highest quality product on the market. Hands down, there is no dispute. They were extremely well-funded. Market conditions were fantastic. I mean, we use TiVo as a verb. I TiVo stuff on my piece of junk Time Warner DVR all the time. But TiVo is a commercial failure. They've never made money. And when they went IPO, their stock was at about $30 or $40 and then plummeted, and it's never traded above 10. In fact, I don't think it's even traded above six, except for a couple of little spikes. Because you see, when TiVo launched their product, they told us all what they had. They said, we have a product that pauses live TV, skips commercials, rewinds live TV, and memorizes your viewing habits without you even asking. And the cynical majority said, we don't believe you. We don't need it. We don't like it. You're scaring us. What if they had said, if you're the kind of person who likes to have total control over every aspect of your life, boy, do we have a product for you. It pauses live TV, skips commercials, memorizes your viewing habits, et cetera, et cetera. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, and what you do simply serves as the proof of what you believe. Now let me give you a successful example of the law of diffusion of innovation. In the summer of 1963, 250,000 people showed up on the mall in Washington to hear Dr. King speak. They sent out no invitations, and there was no website to check the date. How do you do that? Well, Dr. King wasn't the only man in America who was, the, who was a great orator. He wasn't the only man in America who suffered in a pre-civil rights America. In fact, some of his ideas were bad, but he had a gift. He didn't go around telling people what needed to change in America. He, you know, he went around and told people what he believed. I believe, I believe, I believe, he told people. And people who believed what he believed took his cause and they made it their own, and they told people. And some of those people uh, created structures to get the word out to even more people. And lo and behold, 250,000 people showed up on the right day, on the right time to hear him speak. How many of them showed up for him, zero. They showed up for themselves. It's what they believed about America that got them to travel on a bus for eight hours to stand in the sun in Washington for, in the middle of August. It's what they believed. And it wasn't about black versus white. 25% of the audience was white. Dr. King believed that there were two types of laws in this world, those that are made by a higher authority, authority and those that are made by man. And not until all the laws that are made by man are consistent with the laws that are made by the higher authority will we live in a just world. 
It just so happens that the civil rights movement was the perfect thing to help him bring his cause to life. We followed not him, not for him, but for ourselves. And by the way, he gave the I have a dream speech, not the I have a plan speech. <laughs> Listen to politicians now with their comprehensive 12-point plans. They're not inspiring anybody. Because there are leaders and there are those who lead. Leaders hold a position of power or authority, but those who lead inspire us. Whether they're individuals or organizations, we follow those who lead, not because we have to, but because we want to. We follow those who lead, not for them, but for ourselves. And it's those who start with why that have the ability to inspire those around them or find others who inspire them. Thank you very much. Yeah, sir. That one was, I really liked it. I really liked it. That's a very insightful and very profound way of, let's say, advertising, marketing, purpose. When we think about that, even if you were to relate it to yourself, it's thinking about the, the power to why you're doing something. Now, for me, I'm not too big of a fan on when people say you got to find your why. I don't, I don't truly, I don't truly agree with it. Now, I haven't, I don't have enough of an informed opinion on it. I'll be 100% honest. So I might agree with it, but I don't like the way it's used it at the very least. Just like I don't like the way motivation or motivational things and that type of stuff. If you know, me, you know, I don't like cliches and, and saying, finding your why is a cliche for me and I don't like it, but to dissect that a little bit, I'm thinking, okay, well, what, what Simon has said here, it's not necessarily finding your why you should have, you should have known what that was going into it. Now, when I think about that for myself, for me and playing football, I didn't know what my quote unquote why was. That's still probably a few years ago. I, I only started playing football because of social pressure, if that makes sense. So as I've explained in this podcast before, it's only because the people who I was around at a young age were playing football and only because I was bad at football. And then my neighbor moves in next door to me. who was a professional footballer. That social pressure permitted me to become a footballer because all my friends were doing it. And I had the neighbor who was a professional footballer. Then did I start playing football? So. If we're going off why I started playing football, well, it's, it's for a pretty bad reason, to be honest. It's not a great reason. It's not because I loved it. In fact, I didn't love it, and I still don't love it. And I think most people who listen to this podcast today know that I don't love playing football. I don't think anyone loves playing football, so I'm 100% honest. I think that people love the things that are associated with football, whether it's the feeling that you get kicking the ball, whether it's the feeling you get when you see yourself improve. That's that's what I love about football. I love that I can see myself improve. I don't think you come out of the womb without kicking a football and without there being social uh, standards on football. I don't think you come out of the womb just loving it. I don't think that's how it works. Because if we think about our ancestors, why didn't they create football, you know, 3,000 years ago? Because... That would say if they had a uh, quote-unquote passion for football, then it should have always been there. So I don't think 
No, I think I can say that it definitely isn't. You aren't born with a passion for anything. Maybe it's in the results. Maybe it's in the satisfaction you get from the way that you manipulate the ball, whatever it is. But I don't think it's solely by playing that sport or doing that thing alone. I think it's the feeling that you get from doing or being. And that's what I think a big misconception is. Now, when we relate that to this episode, Simon was saying about Apple. Now, I always talk about Apple with my dad. And I was literally walking the same path yesterday speaking with my dad about Apple. Because it's just probably one of the biggest, no, it has to be the biggest company in the world. And it's just a good reference point. But when, when we're speaking about Apple, and they're saying they just happen to make computers, just like I said, or sculpted, we just happen to do X, Y, Z. Now, I'm not there yet. I'm working on it, though. But people get behind that. And I think that people can get behind sculpted. Because what's bad about sculpting yourself? I don't think there's anything inherently bad about sculpting yourself. I think it's probably one of the best things you can do for you and for the people around you. So I think it's a message anyone can get behind. Which is exactly what Simon was speaking about. Now, as I don't want to talk about business too much here. It's more about how it can relate to you. If we're thinking about how this can relate to you. It's not, maybe it's not finding your why immediately. And I think I did actually say that just at the beginning, which I'm, I'm listening to this and conceptualizing and thinking about it out loud, essentially, as, as I'm recording. So I, I don't come in with any pre, pre-thought about or pre-assumed knowledge. I'm literally just raw here. I'm, I'm going in and speaking as I hear it. So forgive me if I'm being... Uh, I'm going back on my words, but let's say, okay, we've already, we've already related it to myself. My why in football is probably a pretty garbage one, but it's not that anymore because I don't have that social pressure to play football anymore. It's for me, I want to do X, Y, and Z. I want to become the best that I can become. I want to sculpt myself to become the best footballer I can now, that's something I think people can get behind. I think that's something I can get behind and apply myself to. So maybe, maybe I do agree with finding your why. Maybe I do. But just like everything else, I just hate the terminology. But I think that finding your why may not do too much, honestly. Maybe it's good to have. And again, take this with a grain of salt. I'm only thinking out loud here, but, and I will make a much more detailed episode on it, right? I, I've already got that planned. I've got, I think I've got 50 or so episodes written down that I need to actually create and plan for. This much is just episodes where I can chug them out and do exactly what I'm doing right now with you where I'm just thinking out loud. But in the coming months and next year, I'll be able to make the episodes that I was making whilst I was, um, recovering from surgery where I can spend more time on it, do one or two a week and actually get stats research and etc. But at the moment, as I said, just thinking out loud, but it's definitely, definitely one I need to go into a bit more because as I've said, I don't have as much, an, as much of an opinion as I should get. I don't think it's necessarily 
the most important thing. There's more important things to do because I think you will find out what that is or more you do. Therefore, I don't think it's essential. But maybe if we're speaking about longevity, and I might be wrong here again, I'm, I'm kind of leaning into the why now to where five minutes ago I wasn't. But if I do a bit of research, if I find a few studies like I normally do, I'll be able to create more of an informed opinion. But that's up to you now. What do you think? I guess I can flip it on to you and, and, and relate what I've said here. Because I base a lot of my experiences on personal experiences. And then I back it up by, study, uh, by science and studies. So, a lot of the time, when you hear my episodes on the podcasts, and it's a very informed and, let's say, strong opinion. I don't like saying strong opinions because I think all opinions are strong. But let's say I have a strong opinion here. And that doesn't come through just me doing and living experiences. It comes, it initially is birthed through that. That's, that's obvious, right? Pretty much everything that we believe is birthed through our own lens, our own personal experiences. But then to validate that and to solidify it, you can then either prove it wrong through external research or findings or you can prove it right now both is good proving it wrong and proving it right are good because then you then you have the definitive answer just like with motivation and my stance on motivation and passion and all that garbage um but it, it comes initially through a lens from your own eyes and a bias and that is that's normal and it's completely okay if you then do further research to confirm or unconfirm it but also you could be an exception as well that's also very valid for me i do believe that a lot of the time i'm an exception and i'm not saying that in an egotistical way I'm saying that because most of the time, as I've spoken about before, I'm the guy who's turning left instead of turning right. So if I'm doing the opposite most of the time, I'm going to be the exception. And I'm not talking about good, just good. I'm talking about both good and bad. Exception doesn't mean good. Exception is the exception of the rule. And for there to be an exception, it has to be both negative and positive. It's the exception of the average. And that's what I mean by living an exceptional life. I do live an exceptional life. Because no one really does this. But. Now I'm going to live a very normal life. Going back to Australia. And one, one of the big things for me is. How do I keep living an exceptional life? That's going to be a challenge for me. How do I keep living an exceptional life. Where I'm constantly stimulated and challenged. I've already thought about this. Because I believe that some of my biggest growth. Has been through these exceptional moments in my life. I believe that when I'm challenged with not knowing where I'm going to stay that night, not knowing where my next meal is, all of these things, these are challenges that I won't have to worry about anymore. And to me, maybe for you that's that's not concerning, but for me that is concerning because that means I'm not living an exceptional life. I want to live an exceptional life because I know where that's gotten me. It's gotten me to the person I am today. The reason why I'm able to speak to you guys and, and to actually have validity behind the words 
maybe you trust me more than you trust someone else who hasn't done the things that I've done. And rightly so, because they haven't lived the things that I've lived. So how do I keep living this exceptional life? It's tough. Now, I'm going to purposely have to put things in my life that make it difficult. Now, that's very self-deprecating to a degree. But I have to, I know that I have to struggle to get where I want. So if I'm not struggling to get where I want, then I'm not going to get there. That's what I believe. So I'm going to have to do everything I can to make sure my life is as stimulating and as hard as I can, as hard as it can be, to make sure I continue growing. But anyways, guys, I'll wrap it up there. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Bye-bye.